This is Nick Redding, and you're listening to PreserveCast, a podcast with a worldwide listenership that explores the broad world of preservation from every angle, from drones to mudlarking and everything in between. Now, let's get preserving. Step right up, because on this week's PreserveCast, we're talking about the history of the circus with historian LaVon Ho. From special effects to teaching at Clown College, LaVon will take us through his own history and the history of the circus, as well as a conversation about the future of this 2,000-year-old institution. This is Nick Redding, and you're listening to PreserveCast. Today, we're sitting down with LaVon Ho, a historian who has specialized and focused on the history of the circus. Uh, and we're going to be talking about all things circus. It's very exciting for me as a little kid. I was always fascinated by the circus, went to the circus, had a toy circus, wanted to do all things circus. So I've always wanted to get a circus historian on, and we're thrilled to be joined uh, by one of the best today. Um Maybe the greatest historian on earth. I don't know. We'll, we'll use a little circus terminology there. Um, but Levon, it's it's a pleasure to have you with us here today. I want to maybe start by kind of giving people a background on you. Where did you grow up, and when did you uh, get the sawdust in your veins? Oh, I like that term. I, I use that a lot. That I I don't have blood. <laughs> I have sawdust. Uh, I grew up in Appleton, Wisconsin. And Wisconsin is the state of circuses. Virginia is a state of presidents. Well, more circuses came out of Wisconsin. So I got my first uh, injection of sawdust. I was four or five years old. And my mother, who was a huge circus fan, took my brother and I to see the Ringling Brothers Barnum and Bailey show when it came to town on, on four trains. And we went down to the Fox River and we waited in the fog along the river and we could hear the steam engine and the whistle blowing and it, it popped out of the fog in this huge headlight and then car after car after car of, of circus things. And, and it was just, it was so magical. And um, I got so taken by it that when we went home the next day, I, I set up a, a tent, sort of a tent structure in the basement with cardboard tubes and strings and cigar boxes to hold the strings in place. And um, I had a, a little wind up tank that I used to pull the poles up just like in the in the real thing. Finally, my dad said, your circus has to go on the road because the coal bin was at one end of the basement, the furnace was at the other, and the tent was in between. So so then I later on, I, I um, nagged my parents to take me to Baraboo, Wisconsin. That's where the Ringling Brothers started. And so after just day and weeks of, of uh, pleading with them to go there, they finally said, all right, we'll go. And so we drove down to Baraboo and, and we pulled into a gas station and dad asked uh, where the ringling started. The guy had no clue. And so I said, where's the river? Because I know the winter quarters was on the river. And he said, well, it's right ahead of you. And we could only make a left turn and we made that left turn and we went two blocks and there it was. I knew exactly where we were. I had read the book on on the ringlings and knew what, the, what Ringlingville looked like. Got out of the car, walked over to this one building Found out later that was the, that was where they kept the elephants, and and I could still smell them. I mean that the odor was there, and and so from that time on, I I read as much as I could. I did what I could to learn more about the circus, and when I got in in um, college, I made a promise to myself that someday I would do anything I could to help people understand and know more about the circus, and and. Come to find out that is probably the least understood art form. Uh, we know about dance. We know about theater. We know about opera. 
but what do we know about the circus? And it was from that, in which my the course that I taught at the University of Virginia uh, started in 1982. And when I my the chairman of the department said, "Yeah, right, go ahead, try it." You know, a course on the circus at the University of Virginia. I don't think so. First year I had 45 students. The second year I turned 150 students away from the class, and I knew we were off to the races then. And it eventually it became a course that the students could use for historical studies credit. Uh, that it had, you know, passed through all of the, all of the, um, um, the uh, all passed through the through the faculty and the different committees that finally said, yeah, okay, you can teach this course. So I think that's kind of like a perfect, you know, segue. You said it's it's sort of it's this least uh, understood form of art. I think people kind of look down their noses at it. Not only do they. You know, I mean, with derision, you you call people a clown, right? Like, I mean, exactly. that's and yeah. and obviously, clowning when you read about it is, it, it, you know, it's an art form unto itself as well. So, let's talk about the circus history. Kind of give people paint a picture, um, and we're gonna have links in our show notes to your your books and publications, um, which are great reads. Um, but how, how far back can circus history be traced, you know, as this art form, as this experience? What kind of a, a history are we talking about here? Well, we have to look at the history. Uh, you can go back as far as 2500 B.C. and see instances of circus activity. Uh, acrobats and, and uh, balancing artists uh, were found in, in Egypt. Uh, you can uh, in 1421 B.C., a dinner party was given by Socrates and they had circus-like acts uh, performing at this dinner party. <clears throat> Excuse me, the, uh, the Chinese had uh, jugglers and plate spinners. But the thing that's important about this is that these were just things that were happening here and there. There was no structure to it. And we don't get to the structure until uh, 1768 in England. And that's when we look at the, the, how our modern circus started. There was a gentleman by the name of Philip Astley, and he was in the military. And uh, when he left the military, he started a riding school in Halfpenny Hatch in England or in London. And uh, so he started the riding school. And, and eventually what came out of that is that more people started seeing the circus and the circus now grew from 1768 uh, it just mushroomed and it went to Russia, went to France, and eventually in 1793, it was here in the United States. But interestingly enough, in the 1768 start, um, by 1770, some people feel that that is the real start of the modern circus because it was on that date that they added a clown. And so they had all of the elements of what we would look at in the modern circus, the, the acts, the riding skills, the horses, uh, now we had a clown, you had music. So all of this was coming together. And by by the 1800s, it's all over the world. Uh, the circus has just taken off like crazy. And people, when they think of clowning, I think they think of sort of the probably the American audience that thinks of clowning, thinks of it as one specific thing. But there's a couple different versions of it. What What is that earliest version? And how familiar would a modern audience be with what clowning looked like? either at that point or even throughout the 19th century? Well, you have um, uh, the clowns. Of course, you have the costuming and some makeup. Um, the um, early clowns used uh, lead white, which is uh, we know is very uh, 
poisonous no and uh, uh, and they would it would have a lot of the same things uh, that the modern clown would have that we would look at the axe there was one gentleman by the name of Joseph Grimaldi uh, and he was a very famous clown um, and people would flock to go see his act and as the story goes he was getting very tired of clowning and just needed he needed a break from it so he went to see his doctor and he said, I'm tired, I'm just frustrated, and, and I'm having difficulty with my life. And the doctor said, you know what you need to do? You need some laughter in your life. You need to go see Joseph Grimaldi's act. And so here he's talking to Joseph Grimaldi. So it, it's a tough life, you know, being, being a clown. Um, and and uh, as we look at the clowning today, we had Ringling Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Clown College, uh, and would... would uh, uh, have a number of, of students from the Clown College that would graduate and go out with the big show. So, you know, that's a that's a good, you mentioned Ringling Brothers. You've had um, uh, an involvement with Ringling Brothers. Talk to us about your involvement with Ringling Brothers. It's, it you know, I think if most modern American listeners hear the word circus, it's almost synonymous today, at least with Ringling Brothers, which we're going to talk about their demise and then potentially their rebirth. Um, but, what did you do with Ringling Brothers, and and uh, maybe maybe we'll we'll start there. What your your involvement with them? Well, I was I was hired by the dean of Clown College, Steve Smith, uh, after he came to UVA and heard about my course, and and we struck up a conversation, and he said I would like for you to come next uh, summer, come down to uh, Venice, Florida, and teach one day of the history of circus. And so I went down there um, and taught for one day. And then he said, do you want to stay for a while? And I stayed for the week uh, and got to know some of the clowns and, and, and uh, just how the clown college worked. And eventually, by the next next summer, I was hired on as a historian and archivist of clown college. And I was with them for eight years um, going in the summertime, uh, doing the history of, of the circus. It was intriguing because the, the clown college the students that go through it's 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 boot camp for cloning. Uh, you have to take your silliness very seriously if you're going to clone college. And uh, we would start early in the morning with calisthenics at nine o'clock, and that would go to nine thirty. Then from nine thirty to ten thirty, there would be a class, and from ten thirty to eleven thirty or noon would be another class. And those classes would be maybe juggling or gag writing or directing, whatever skills were there necessary then the afternoon would be makeup and then late afternoon like about four or five o'clock i would get all the students and it's really tough teaching history after they've been going full speed all day long and then they would come into class in makeup and you, you kind of you know you have have 30 students sitting in front of you in a different array of clown makeup so I would do my best. It was probably one of the toughest teaching gigs that I that I've ever had of keeping them interested in a, in the in the in the topic. So I would give them juices or things just to, we'd get up and walk around. Or when it was taught at Baraboo for a couple of years, we would go out and walk around the grounds and look at some of the circus wagons and see some of the history firsthand. So, but it was great. I loved it. So you taught it there. You also were doing archival work, and were you? documenting things as well, trying to kind of stitch together that that history of the circus and how good at keeping a history is the circus? How much do we know about it? What's the documentary evidence look like for, say, Ringling Brothers or or other ones that existed in the 19th century? 
if you went to the uh, the two repo- or the number of repositories of circus history, my two favorites are the uh, Baraboo Circus Wheel Museum, and then the Ringling in Sarasota, Florida, and they both have incredible collections of circus history, not only photos, posters, film, uh, slides, uh, paintings, whatever's uh, circus history, they'll have it. And it's, it's two great repositories. And then there are more. There's one in, in Bridgeport, the Barnum Museum, uh, where P.T. Barnum, uh, incidentally, P.T. Barnum was born on the 5th of July in uh, 1810. So he called himself a Yankee Doodle plus one. Um, I just recently read a, a, another bio of P.T. Barnum. You can't really get enough of them. And he is sort of the quintessential like American celebrity. I mean, he kind of like, charts what a celebrity should be in this country. So not only does circus have sort of this art form component to it as well, but it's the celebrity culture that we know today, at least I'd argue, I'm curious what you think is kind of rooted in, in how you made that work in the circus. I mean, is that, would you say that's fair? Yeah. Yeah. I think PT Barnum started so many great things of, uh, you know, the sideshow and, and, uh, people like to be humbugged and, and, uh, uh, he was, he would start. He was. I think he's been given credit also for the first postering of uh, one of his uh, stars in his museum. You know, putting posters all over New York City. So when people woke up one morning, there, there it was. Joyce Hath posters everywhere, as being you know George Washington's uh, nurse and, and took care of George Washington. So in terms of publishing on all of this, for listeners who are interested in picking up some of your work, which we'll put links into the notes in here so they can buy them, but talk to us about what you've published on. And, and I'm curious if you're, I know you're in retirement now, but if what, what you're still doing in terms of the circus. As far as the circus is concerned right now, I'm just trying to sort out my collection. Uh, I have a room in the basement. Uh, it's about 750 square feet. That's nothing but circus, including a, a eighth inch model of uh, the Ringling Brothers tent, their big top and their menagerie tent, and then six file cabinets full of research material and uh, programs, so and pictures. And, and a lot of my information on clowns I've sent to the Clown Hall of Fame in Baraboo for their uh, collections. So that's what I'm doing right now is trying to just sort through all. As my wife said, she hopes that she dies before I do because she wouldn't know what to do with all of my circus information. It seems like there's a common thread here in the basement. It started with a uh, with a tent in the basement, yeah. and now the basement <laughs> is still filled with the so you've never really left. They haven't let you move to the first floor yet. But, uh, <laughs> I have never thought um, of that before. That's good. <laughs> yeah, you're still stuck in the basement. So um, let's take a quick break, come back, and then talk about some of your... We'll talk about your books as well that you've published previously, and then we'll talk about this reboot of Ringling Brothers, the demise and the reboot, and we'll do that right here on PreserveCast. Historic preservation can't happen without skilled tradespeople to perform the work, and there's a critical need right now for those tradespeople. The Campaign for Historic Trades, powered by Preservation Maryland, is working to meet that need by strengthening apprenticeship opportunities within historic trades. In partnership with the National Park Service's Historic Preservation Training Center and Conservation Legacy, the campaign is currently recruiting for NPS Traditional Trades Apprenticeship Program, or TTAP. TTAP is an intensive 20-week apprenticeship that provides young adults the chance to learn historic trade skills while working on America's most iconic historic sites. 
Multiple positions are open for the 2022 season at national parks across the country. Visit historictrades.org for more information on TTAP and how to apply today. This is Nick Redding. You're listening to PreserveCast. Today, we're thrilled to be talking with an accomplished historian of the circus, Levon Ho. Um, we've been talking about how he got into it um, and his first time to Baraboo and sort of documenting the story of the circus and teaching this class at uh, university um, in, in Richmond. And um, I'm curious uh, – well, first off, before we get into the demise of Ringling Brothers, I, I asked before, and I don't know if I let you answer this part, but um, what have you published on the circus that people could pick up and read? Well, the one thing, the big, the largest is the book called Step Right Up, The Adventures of Circus in America. And I co-authored that with uh, Bill Ruff. Uh, and then I've written a number of articles, uh, did the history of the circus for Britannic Encyclopedia. Uh, my gosh. Um, a number of uh, A&E Network. Uh, presentations on the 200th anniversary of the American Circus on A&E and uh, Daredevils on A&E and Historic History Channel. Um, I've uh, written a number of articles that have been in different magazines. Mainly, um, you know, I go out and do a lot of uh, talking about the, I like the one-on-one and going out and being able to meet people and talk about the circuits because it's, for me, it's an exciting thing to talk about. And I'm curious when it comes to we're going to ask you a couple rapid fire circus questions at the end that I'm sure you can easily answer just your favorite things. But I hope um, when was the uh, well, they're all they're all personal opinions, so they should be easy. But when is uh, when was the last time you went to a circus? Uh, boy, the last time was in um, the year that uh, uh, Ringling shut down 2017. Well, that's a that's a that's a perfect segue to what I was going to ask you about, which is. Ringling, so the demise of Ringling. It's sort of this this slow motion demise. It seems like they they, for understandable reasons, the elephants leave the show, and then in quick succession, the show ends up completely shutting down. Probably before it would have anyway with COVID. Um, wh- what did you feel about? I mean, obviously, I know personally, you probably were upset to see it all happen. Was it expected? Did you did you sort of see it coming in terms of how Ringling kind of came apart and the and the wheels came off? Well, a number of us had talked about it before before the wheels came off, and we many of us thought that one of the two units would close down, one of the red or the blue. They would get rid of one of the trains and then uh, keep the other, keep one unit going. And it was a huge shock to many of us when they made the announcement that they were shutting down both shows, selling off the trains, and that's it. And here's something that had been going on for, you know, longer than baseball. And it was, you know, so much part of America. You hear, you think of a circus. When I'd ask my students, what circuses have you attended? It was always Ringling Brothers. That was the most popular show out there. And to have them fall apart, wow, that, that was uh, still hard to believe. And what, um, in terms of the history of it, th- then what happens to all the history? Uh, you know, did did curators go in and at least try and get things from that last unit that was traveling? What happened in terms of like documentation at the end? Are you familiar with that? There were a lot of lot of videos taken, a lot of pictures taken. There were a lot of interviews. Uh, mainly, they were saying, "So, what are you going to do now? You've you've been." Uh, 
a trapezist all your life. Now what? What's next on the docket? And some of them found other careers. Some went to Europe. Some went back to Europe. Some joined some of the other shows in this country. Uh, but when COVID hit, every, oh, that's when everything started coming apart. So and then we just heard in the past couple of weeks, and I'm sure as a as a circus historian, you you, you caught these stories and, and it hasn't it's gone somewhat wide. But that Ringling is going to reboot. It will not have a train. Um, they'll be staying in hotels. Um, there will be no animal acts. Uh, what do you, is this just, I mean, the circus has had to reinvent itself over and over and over again. I mean, yep. If you had to count the number of reinventions, it would be very difficult probably to do that. Yes. Um, so it's not unreasonable that it would have to reinvent. What do you think about its chances for success? Is there a, a place for the circus in modern American culture? It obviously still works in places like Russia and overseas, but is there, is there still a place for this? Where do you, I mean, I know you're a historian, you look backwards, but what do you think about in terms of past lessons where the circus is headed now, you know, at least Ringling Brothers? Well, I certainly hope that it works out because uh, if, if, if any time in our history in this country, I think it's now that we need circus, we need some entertainment, we need something that's going to make us smile. Um, is we want to be able to look at uh, different acts and go, wow, I wish I could do that. And you know, the dreamers would, would come back and say, yeah, this, this is what I needed in my life, something new, something different. And I think they're going to come out with something drastically different. I, I've been thinking a lot about this, and I, I suspect that modern technology is going to play a very important role from lighting and sound and, and effects. Uh, um, and and then they're bringing acts from all over the world. So it's going to be like United Nations of Circus, which it really has been all along. Um, when you, you walk among circus performers, they're from all over the world. So I, I think it's I'm excited about it. I, I can't wait to see what happens. And uh, I, my big question, will they play the big arenas or will it be for smaller venues? Right. And that's probably a question that they're perhaps even asking themselves based on what kind of response they're going to get. There's obviously going to be pent up interest in it. People who love the circus one way or the other, there's going to be people who would go to it now because there's no animals involved. People who are going to miss those animals. Um, is the animal an intrinsic part? It wasn't always right. And even the ringlings got rid of the big cat acts yes. at one point and then brought them back. So it's, yep. it hasn't, even though it's, you know, it's, it's the way we always remember it. it. It has come and gone over time. Do you think it can still be a circus without that? I think it can. Um, I know personally, I'm going to miss the animals, but, um, and I understand why the reasoning that we don't have the animals anymore. Uh, but um, I always thought, for the longest time, and I guess I still think this way, that if, if it's going to be a true circus, it, it should have animals. Um, and But then again, that's going back to, to many, many years. And, and I remember it you know, as a kid watching this, this uh, giant tent on 14 acres of land. So when that fell apart um, in um, oh, the name, the date is a scale, 56, 1956 in July in Pittsburgh, they dropped the tent for the last time, and now they're going inside. So there was a big change in 1956, and a lot of people at that time thought, wow, if Ringling Brothers is leaving the canvas, the circus is done. It'll never survive that. Well, guess what? It went on until 2017, and in the different permutations, they added an extra unit. And so we, uh, they brought in Gunther Gable Williams, bought out his circus in, in Europe. 
and made that part of, of the show. So each time it, it's kind of layers and, and we're at a new level. We're at a new layer right now. So we'll see what's what's happening. And there are still circuses out there, small shows with animals. Um, and so we'll have, obviously we're going to have to wait and see. Well, we'll have to have you back as that kind of unfolds and, and see how it fits into the story of the American circus before we go. Okay. So here's some, some rapid fires. He was not provided these in advance, so we'll see what he says. All right. Favorite type of circus act. Uh, the elephant act and trapeze elephant and trapeze. Okay. Do you have a favorite clown? So like one in one individual in particular, you'd say, Oh my gosh, just the story of this clown or the clowning that they did. Um, they stand out as, as one of my absolute favorites. Lou Jacobs. Okay, tell us about him, because that, that's not a name I know. That Lou Jacobs, is uh, he's the only one who's been featured on the U.S. postage stamp. Um, and he, he had so many nifty little acts that uh, he taught at Clown College. One of his acts was that he was in a bathtub would go around the Hippodrome track with streamers coming out like water. And uh, he had a, a tiny car. If you've seen the movie, The Greatest Show on Earth, Cecil B. DeMille, yes. he's in there. He works with Jimmy Stewart in the ring with a tiny okay. car. Well, that, that that is a good one. Do you have a favorite circus song? We didn't really talk about it, but music is an integral part of this. There's so many different, you know, Entrance of the Gladiators and all these that's, different ones. That's my favorite one. You there it is. It. Okay. All right. Well, that that's good. Um, f- you're at the circus. Favorite circus snack? Is there like a go-to snack you have to have? Uh, popcorn. Popcorn. I'm a big circus peanut guy, and I don't know if if that if that actually tracks with the history of the circus, but but I've always liked them. It's a well, I one. relate a story when Ringling. I don't remember how old I was, but we went into the menagerie tent. And there had to be at least twenty or thirty elephants in there. I had a bag of peanuts in my back pocket. The trunk of one of the elephants found the peanuts in my back pocket. Pulled them out. That works. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, is do you have a favorite or a, or a handful? If people were interested, they obviously they're going to pick up your book. But a favorite memoir, you know, some someone who's actually sitting down, sit down rather, and written their circus story, sort of from a firsthand view. What what are some good circus memoirs? Sort of these oh books back. Um, do you have any favorites? No, I wish I was downstairs in my circus room. I'd just turn around and just rattle them off on the on the bookshelf. <laughs> Uh, oh, there's so many of them. My gosh. Um, there, as you mentioned, there are some great ones on P.T. Barnum. One final kind of rapid fire here. Do you have favorite circus books, memoirs? What should people be reading other than Step Right Up, your book? Okay. Uh, this one called Ringlingville um, by Jerry Apps. It tells all about the story of the Ringling Brothers, Baraboo, how they got started. Great photos in there. Um, if you want to know about clowning. John Towson's book, Clowns, great, great book, has everything you'd want to know about clowns. This gentleman has written a number of books, Ernest Albrecht, A-L-B-R-E-C-H-T, The New American Circus, another fabulous book. He has, I think he has three or four books that he's published. Unfortunately, he passed away not long ago, but great writer, good information. And then... Another one of my favorite ones, The Circus in America. Fantastic. So these are these are good entryways for people who are uh, interested in this history of the circus. And it really is. It's an art form. It's a social movement. It's a political statement. It's all of these things kind of wrapped up. And it says a lot about our culture and the, and the different eras in which it existed from – you know, the Civil War to World War One, World War II, um, it's all kind of baked in there. So 
Um, it's so great to have you on today. We always ask this of everyone who comes on. Do you have a favorite historic place or site? I have two. Okay. I have one, Baraboo, the Circus Royal Museum, and the Ringling, which is in Sarasota, where John Ringling uh, has had his art collection and uh, his circus museum. Well, those would be two good upcoming episodes. Maybe we'll, we'll do some outreach and see if we can get somebody on and tell them we had a great conversation with you. Thank you so much for joining us today. And as, as they always sign off, uh, Levon, I hope all your days are circus days. Thank you. And as, as we uh, in the circus say, we don't say goodbye. We say see you down the road. <laughs> all right. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to PreserveCast. To dig deeper into this episode's story, head over to PreserveCast.org for show notes and our collection of previous episodes. Don't forget to engage with this podcast by subscribing, commenting, and leaving a review. Follow along on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at PreserveCast for even more. PreserveCast is currently recorded in Walkersville, Maryland, and sponsored by the 1772 Foundation, and powered by Preservation Maryland. Thanks for listening, and keep on preserving.